welcome to Dear Dio, your resource for honest advice and realness from your journey from life as a pre-med to residency. I'm your host, Michael Garrison, and I'm a current fourth-year osteopathic medical student applying for neurology residency. And my journey to medical school was chaotic, to say the least. It lacked structure as well as mentorship. So the goal of this podcast is to be your mentor as you get your way through medical school into residency and maybe even beyond. We'll see. Before we get started, I just want to give a disclaimer that I'm not an expert in this by any means. I've been through it, but it doesn't mean that my opinion is always correct. These are just my opinions. So let's get started. This week, we're going to talk about fourth year of medical school, kind of the transition between being a third year doing a bunch of clerkships, and then suddenly having to know what you want to do and who you want to be when you grow up. It's hard. It's stressful. So starting off, it's January, your third year. You've done like six or seven rotations. You've taken all of your comats, you know, and you've still got some time left for third year, but you're expected to kind of know what you want to do at this point which can be a struggle for a lot of people, I think. Um, I fortunately knew what I wanted to do pretty early on, but not everyone does. And so what I know a lot of people did that were undecided was keep a journal throughout third year, write down what you liked about the rotation, what you didn't like. Keep in mind that the preceptor might have a lot to do with that. So think about it. Was was this a preceptor problem? Was this a you problem? Was this a rotation problem? Like, what did you not like about the rotation? And say it's family med. If you don't like being in an office all day, that doesn't mean that you won't like family med. There's plenty of family med physicians who work in ERs or as hospitalists in hospitals. For family med and IM, if you don't like managing people's chronic diseases, like diabetes, hypertension, stuff like that, then you probably won't like it. It's like the little things for us, like for neurology. If you don't, hmm, what what about neurology? Would you, would you have to not like the physical exam? If you hate the neurological exam, don't do neurology. You know, like there's always a one thing for every specialty that if you don't like that, then you probably shouldn't do the specialty. So keeping that in mind, but keeping kind of a journal, I think that that's probably the best advice that I got. And then keeping in mind that preceptors can make or break you. I almost did OBGYN because of Dr. Harrell, but at the end of the day, that was just because I love Dr. Harrell and not because I want to be an OBGYN. Also... Step two. So like step two is like this cloud at the end of third year that everyone's just kind of like waiting to to see how am I going to study for this? Um, especially now that there was no score for step one or level one, step two, level two is going to mean more probably. I mean, that's just my opinion, but it's probably going to mean more. So how do you study for step two, level two? I think the biggest advice that I could have given to myself and that I'm going to give to you is studying for the comats or the shelf exams is just as important as studying for step two, level two. So they've actually done studies that show that your performance on comats and shelves is very highly predictive of how you're going to do on step two, level two. 
So just keeping that in mind, study for the COMETs like they're a real life exam, you know, like they are a real life exam. But I know a lot of people just kind of like, oh, that's a comet, like, it's fine. You know, I'm just going to study for a couple days before it. Study for it like it's the step or the level, okay? Um, and then Anki, step two, Tazanki, saved my life, third year. Divine Intervention, also saved my life. Amboss and UWorld combined as kind of like a practice question, but also Amboss has a bunch of amazing resources like Osmosis and kind of like an encyclopedia for medical students built into their website. Those four resources single-handedly got me through third year. I'm going to do an entire thing of how I studied for step two, level two, and how I organized my time. But generally, I gave myself about six weeks plus one week to actually take the exam because I had to take two exams. Obviously, I'm a DO student. Um, so I took, I opted to take step as well as level. So you have to take those kind of like four days apart, usually, like I would recommend, <laughs> because you'll kind of burn yourself out. Yeah, I would take like literally a week just for the test itself. So factor that in. As for OPP, I use step up to OMT Anki deck, but it has a lot of problems, but it's kind of helpful just getting through it. And then actually online med ed. I don't love online med ed uh, very much at all, but their OPP section was literally the best. The guy that does the OPP, he explained things that I never understood from my school. And OPP was one of my highest scoring topics on level two and was one of my lowest scoring topics on level one. So online med ed made all the difference for me. Level two has a ton of ethics on it, unfortunately. Not unfortunately. I mean, we all need to know ethics, but they ask you some crazy wild scenarios. And Divine Intervention has a bunch of ethics episodes. Those are really good for just in the car, getting your kind of your head in the game for ethics, okay? So that's my brief little study tidbit for third year. Obviously, if you guys have questions about it, DM me, send me your questions on website, whatever you want to do. I'll do a more in-depth kind of study schedule if you want, but we are going to dive into kind of audition season stuff that I just went through that I can really just send you home with. So fourth year, it's January, you're a third year, and your school just started talking about Vizlo. What the heck is Vizlo? What the heck is an audition? What am I doing here? Basically, an audition is a two-week or month-long job interview for residency to see if you are a good fit for their program, if you are professional, if you have good bedside manner, and to see that you are passionate about the subspecialty that you are entering. So, what is an audition? I just told you. But what's a sub-I? It's basically the same thing. So, auditions, sub-internships, or acting internships are all basically the same thing. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't hear anyone tell you otherwise, honestly. I just thought of them all the same thing. And honestly, they were interchangeable. One place that I went to, I was an AI. One place I went to, I was a sub-I. And one place I went to, I was also a sub-I. I did the same job at all of them, so it doesn't really matter. I guess the, the main thing that's differentiating for them is you can be a sub-I without being an audition, but you can't be an audition without being a sub-I. So what I mean by that is you can be a sub-I, like a sub-intern at somewhere that you are not planning 
to apply for residency at. And that would not be an audition. That would just be an elective for you, but you would be acting as an intern, so you would be a sub-I or an AI. Whereas if you were doing it as an audition, you would still be doing all the intern duties, but it would be for an audition because you want them to like you. Okay, that's all the terminology that I'm going to go through. You're probably thinking, well, I don't even know what residency programs are out there. I haven't really looked. Well, there's plenty of resources. There's almost too many resources. And some of them are really bad. And some of them you have to pay for. And then they're still really bad. So I'm going to give you the lowdown. Residency Explorer is the best. And I think it's free. It's the best resource that you can use to look at programs, to compare programs, just to peruse, see what's out there. It's kind of like Hinge but for residency programs. So I would start this now, January 2023, your third year. I would start it now. I would look to see, one, where is it located? I think that was the biggest thing for me to look at residency programs. I knew I didn't want to live on the the West Coast, but I kept my book open. Pick somewhere that you're close to your family. You need so much support during residency. Family, friends, activities that you're used to, like if you love surfing, do not go away from the coast. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like if if your way of wellness and soothing yourself is surfing, stay on the coast. That way you have access to your, your favorite thing. If you hate the snow, don't apply to anywhere up north. Why would you do that to yourself? Just, just basic things like that. And then On Residency Explorer, you can actually click, like, I want to stay in the Southeast. Show me only Southeast programs. Show me only programs in Georgia. Show me only programs in Florida. Show me both. It's it's a very user-friendly site, in my opinion. And that's coming from somebody who's not super technologically savvy. I also really enjoyed their filters. So you can actually filter it by seeing what percentage of DOs that they currently have. I felt like that was really important to me. That was information that was passed down to me from from a fourth year when I was a third year. There's many reasons for why I did that. One, I didn't want to waste money applying to programs that didn't recognize my worth. If they only took MD students for the past 100 years, it would be cool if I could be the first. But is that realistic? Maybe I wouldn't put all my all my eggs in that basket. Could I apply? Sure. Would I put that as my number one that I like would be crushed if I didn't get? No, I didn't want to waste my money applying to programs that didn't recognize my title and my work that I put in just as much work as the MD student standing next to me. And that sounded exhausting on top of everything that you have to do for residency. Like you earn this, you earn this just as much as the MD person sitting by you. It's good to have goals. It would be sick to be the first DO at a program that's never had a DO before. I think that's an amazing goal, but don't put all your eggs in that basket just in case. So another thing that you can do on Residency Explorer, which is really cool, is you can look at how many residents they take. Some take 14, 20 residents every year. Some take like two. So kind of look at how many residents they take, what perks they have. Do they get free food, free parking? Do they get health care? Do they get dental care? Do they provide child care? And then whether it's advanced or categorical. I'm going to put an entire episode together later on about what the difference between categorical and advanced programs are. It's so confusing at first. <laughs> so stay tuned. 
But Residency Explorer really breaks down the bare minimum that you need to know about a residency program. And then as you get your list together of programs that you might be interested in, then you can go on their personal websites, which the link is also provided on Residency Explorer. Go on their website, look at their current residents. What do their residents like to do? Where are their residents from? Are their residents only MDs? Are they only DOs? Are they only IMGs? They usually have like little bios as well. So they'll say what they enjoy doing, what kind of research they're involved in, um, stuff like that. And so since, since all of that's available to you, you can really kind of see, am I going to have anything in common with these people? Other residency resources are ones like Frida, Doximity. I didn't like Frida because I had to pay for it and it wasn't user-friendly in my opinion. And then I didn't like Doximity because it gave a numerical percentage grading on programs based on things that I didn't think was important. It based it on like what Doximity thought was important, which was like research and all this other other stuff. I mean, research is important, but it wasn't my number one thing. I didn't use Doximity and I wouldn't place all of your all of your thoughts on a program on a Doximity ranking. That just doesn't make any sense. Um, another really good resource for kind of gauging how many residencies you're going to have to apply for, et cetera, is the NRMP. So the NRMP releases all of its match data every year. It tells you how many interviews each specialty needed for a 99% chance of matching. It tells you what their average step scores were how much volunteer experience they had, what their work experience was like. And that's all coming from directly from data from their ARIS applications. So by next year, my data will be a part of that, hopefully, <laughs> into the, the successfully matched people. But it's a really great resource. One of the caveats to this that I'm going to tell you is not to focus too much on their averages, like, oh my gosh, I'm below the average, like I'm never going to be a dermatologist or I'm never going to be an anesthesiologist. I wouldn't focus on that because somebody's always going to root for the underdog. Somebody's always going to take you on. So you being a great person is better than you having a great GPA or you having a great level two score. Like you being a good person, a good human, ethical, professional easy to talk to, good bedside manner, et cetera. Like all of the good things that make you, you is more important than the level two score. So just keeping that in mind. Also for interviews, it, it can tell you, okay, so for, for IM, you needed 16 interviews for a 99% chance of matching. Okay, great. That's the data. But what were those interviews like? Because at the end of the day, somebody who interviews very poorly can interview at 20 places and not get a single one of them. And then somebody who interviews at three places who's super personable and likable and outgoing and really jives with the program and the people that are interviewing them, they're going to get one of those three. So just think about that. Quality over quantity always. Okay. And then now we're going to talk about auditions. So I kind of already gave you the terminology sub I versus AI versus auditioner, auditioner, I don't know. Um, but how many, how does it work? How does Vizlo work? So Vizlo is kind of like the main hub for you applying for auditions. 
There's other sites like Clinician Nexus that are great for HCA hospitals and applying for away electives if they're not auditions. I really like Clinician Nexus. Um, I think that it's very user-friendly, very simple. It's a lot more simple than Vislo, so maybe I should talk about it first. I use Clinician Nexus for electives, and it was great. I felt like it was a lot easier, one, to use, and two, to get responses back. It felt like you were actually talking to a person as you were going through. One of the things about Clinician Nexus that I did not like was the fact that you had to get a separate urine drug screen and a separate background check just for Clinician Nexus. So whatever you're using for your school, like my school uses Castle Branch, I was not able to use my Castle Branch that I had just completed literally the week before. I was not able to use that for Clinician Nexus. I had to do my own Clinician Nexus specific package and I had to pay for it. Fourth year is expensive, y'all. But yeah, so that's why I'm I'm kind of like, I like Clinician Nexus, but also it comes with its own costs. So Vislo. So Vislo, V-S-L-O, is run through the same people who do Eris and who kind of guide our lives from this point forward. So Vislo has most of the programs that you're going to be applying for for residency on there as opportunities to do auditions or sub-eyes at. How many applications should you send in? So most applications open on May 1st. You want to get your application ready way before May 1st, way before. So I would say March, maybe like start looking at it in February if you can see what the requirements are. Requirements um, like your official vaccination record can take a couple of weeks to come back from your school. It's kind of annoying, but that's a fact. Also, things like your COVID card, you got to get scanned in, got to get your boosters, you got to get your CV. Your CV needs to be perfect for these applications because this is kind of like what they're, what they're setting all of this on is your CV and your letters of interest, which I'll get to. So for your CV, have all your accomplishments on it, all your clubs, all your research, but also your hobbies. That's important, just as important as those other things that I listed. Everything that you've done in your med school and even before med school, you should probably put on your CV. It doesn't need to stick to one page. I think mine was two pages, um, but I definitely wouldn't go over two pages. That way it's st it stays simple. And then I also, there's always somebody at every school that that's great at CVs, right? So for my school, it was one of our faculty members who loves editing CVs. And so I sent them my CV. And they sent me back a lot of notes, even though I thought that it was already perfect. They were like, nope, you need to edit all these things. So things that need to be on it that you wouldn't think need to be on it, things like ACLS certification, BLS certification, whether or not you passed step one, level one, things like that, that's, those are important. So you need to put them on there. Other things that you need for your Vislo include random paperwork for all these programs. So like codes of conduct, confidentiality agreements, policy agreements, random things. Get them signed, get them in there, get your documents straight. Other things are letters of interest. Uh, most of the places that I applied for for auditions required a letter of interest just to let them know that you're interested in their program. What this is is like half a page at most, you explaining 
to their program, to like to whom it may concern or to the program director of blah, 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 address them and then say, you know, as a person from the Southeast, I really enjoy like blah, 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 blah. That drew me to your program. Other things about your program that I really enjoy, you can mention their current research projects that are ongoing, especially if they're like nationally recognized. Their emphasis on different kinds of community care, like if they have a specific clinic that only serves homeless, you can mention that and how you really, that really resonates with you and that you would be very interested in participating in that clinic. Whatever it is, as long as it's specific and it seems heartfelt. That's what I would say to you. I remember getting really wrapped up in like, is this a good letter of interest? Like, what do I need to do? Is this good enough? Is this not specific enough? Am I being too corny? Am I not being corny enough? Like, at the end of the day, it's literally just half a piece of paper. Just say what you want to say. Have a couple of other people read it. Let them give you their real thoughts. And then send it. Full send. Okay? Don't get, don't get all wrapped up in it. Those are all of the things that you get ready to do. March, April, and then May rolls around. You've got, you know, five or six programs that you're really interested in. Let's, let's bump it up to 10. You've got 10 programs that have auditions that you are applying for. Something I will tell you is to apply to more than one date range for every Every place that you're applying to, apply to more than one date range, hands down. The The problem, though, is if you apply to too many date ranges, you might double book yourself, especially if you're applying to 10 programs and you are applying to more than one date range in each of those programs. So don't double book yourself. It's not the end of the world if you do double book yourself, but if you are applying to program X and program Y and you double book and both of them gave you acceptance in September, that means that the one that you like less, you're going to have to reach out to them personally and tell them, hey, I actually, you know, I applied to this, but something came up and they know it just kind of looks bad. Like it looks, it looks not great on you. And that's unfortunate, but you got to do what you got to do. So I wouldn't, I would try to not double book, obviously. Another thing about applying broadly is traveling. Traveling is super expensive. There are, you know, application fees on Vislo for a lot of programs. And then there's actually tuition costs at some programs, especially for DOs, which is kind of annoying, but it's what we got to do. Um, so make sure you're accounting for extra costs. There's things like parking fees, uh, FOB fees for getting into doors, badge fees, badge holder fees, believe it or not. And of course, travel expenses. So if you're pl- flying, you got to fly there. You got to rent a car. If you're driving, you got to get gas. You got to get oil changes. Um, you got to get new tires, maybe. I don't know. I did a lot of driving this year. I probably put 10, 15,000 miles on my car in the last four months. And then for living situations, I only applied to auditions that I knew I would know someone in that city that I could stay with. So I lived with family for one month and then I lived with friends for three months. Other resources that you can use, um, 
you can sublet your house while you're not there and maybe earn some extra cash or arrange a trade with a different student if you if they're in a different location than you and you need to go to their establishment like their city and they need to come to your city then maybe you can arrange a trade some people also use this site called rotating room it's kind of like airbnb but it's not rotating room is kind of like a craigslist it's very like under the radar um so it's just a room it's geared towards medical students nursing pa kind of people who just need a room for a month to do a clinical rotation professionals so you don't get the whole place to yourself usually, but it's a lot better because it's a lot cheaper than Airbnb. Airbnb costs rack up so quickly. It's so annoying because this whole Airbnb was supposed to be a cheap thing to get away from hotels, but then it ends up just being the same cost as hotels, which is so annoying. Anyway, that's my rant on Airbnb. As for scheduling for fourth year, I know a lot of people are like in their third year, they're like, I got to get, I got to get it all scheduled. I got to get everything, you know, from July to May scheduled or July to, to April. I'm sorry, but that might not happen. Like right off the bat, I had so many moments where I didn't even know where I was going to be next week. One of those moments is now. I don't even know where I'm going to be next week. <laughs> so, and this is like the third time that this is happening to me during fourth year. My advice for fourth years is something that I had to give to myself many, many times is to stay flexible. You know, like I'm the least chill person. I am the most regimented, routined person. I have to wake up at the same time every day. I have to like do X, Y, and Z at the same. No, that didn't happen this year. I had to really have hard conversations with myself about just because, you know, you don't know where you're going to be next week. Doesn't It's not the end of the world. No one's going to die because you don't know where you're going to be next week. It's not a life or death decision. It's, all, it's going to work out. Your school has to find you something next week, okay? But as for, as for scheduling in that kind of way, you're on a continuous rolling basis. As you get acceptances to your auditions, which can happen as early as May when you submit, all the way up until the week before the rotation, say somebody drops drops it, they need somebody to fill that spot, you might get accepted. So just staying kind of, okay, I'm on a continuous rolling basis as they have openings. I have to, you know, make myself available if an opening comes up. That's hard. It's really, really hard. Like I said, like as they kind of get openings, they'll, they might reach out to you. Same thing the other way around. As you are working your way through fourth year, even in third year, reach out to programs. That was the biggest thing that I wish that I could have told myself was in third year, reach out to programs that you're interested in early on. Just let them know your name, literally. Let them know your name, where you're from, what school you go to, and why you're interested in their program. I am telling you, fourth year is all about connections, making connections, letting people know who you are, being vulnerable and open with your I want to be at this program, like, please, please let me be part of your program. Even if you get rejected from an audition, you can reach out. I reached out, I think I got rejected from a program that I really wanted to audition at. I got rejected six times. And every single time I reached out to their program coordinator or their clerkship director and would tell them, hey, you know, I just got rejected. 
but my my schedule is flexible. If you have any openings, I'll take it. Any at all. Sometimes, even if you tell them, you know, it doesn't have to be a general rotation, right? Like, so for neurology, say they had general neurology and that was all that they had. Ask them if they have ICU. Ask them if they have any clinic time. Literally, it doesn't have to be like a Vislo approved kind of, it's either this or it's nothing. They can always squeeze you in if they know that you're passionate and that they know that you're interested in their program because they want to see you perform for them just as bad as you want to perform for them. So keeping that in mind, keep reaching out. It makes you like it makes you feel so annoying when you like reach out to programs over and over and over. But I promise as long as you're doing it in a professional, respectful way and you're not actually being annoying, maybe one email a month just to remind them like, hey, I'm still here. My 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 schedule's still flexible. If you have any openings, please keep me in mind. I think that that's the best thing that you can do because this is your life. This is you taking a charge of your life when fourth year constantly takes the control away from you. So that's my rant on that. And then another thing that honestly is really important and I should have mentioned it earlier. So, so sorry. Scheduling for your school and scheduling for Vislo and programs is often very different. So I know for my school, it's a two-week change. So at my school, rotate in four-week blocks, as do most residency program auditions. Cool. You would think that they would all start on the same day. They do not. So for my school, if we start on, I don't know, June 1st for the four-week block, the residency program will start on June 15th for the four-week block. So that's a lag time of two weeks. It's hard to go back and forth between the school schedule and the residency schedule. So my advice for you is what I did. I think that what I did was very smart. I think that more people probably would do it if the school would let them, but the school kind of gave me a little bit of grief over it. For those of you who don't know how fourth year work, fourth year, you get four weeks of vacation. You could take that vacation at any point. What that vacation is for, it's not actually vacation. It's for residency interviews. It's very hard to get all of your residency interviews into one month. It's, it's virtually impossible. So what did I do? I didn't do that. I took two weeks of my vacation at the very beginning of fourth year, used it as part of my dedicated studying time for step two, level two, and then used the two weeks as a buffer to get myself on the audition residency program schedule. So off of my school schedule and onto the Vislo program schedule. That way it was kind of like a buffer. I hope that that makes sense. Just imagine like kind of like scooting your schedule down by two weeks. And then once you're on that Vislo residency program schedule, you have to maintain yourself on that schedule until you get another two weeks to get yourself off the schedule. I hope that that makes sense. So what I did was once I was on the schedule, I stayed on that schedule for five months and then used two weeks, did some interviews in that weeks, in those two weeks, had a holiday, and then got myself back on my school schedule. And I don't know if all schools do that, but my school did that. 
And I think that it's kind of a common thing. And then Clinician Nexus has their own, their own schedule, which is even more annoying because I think that it's one week after. Anyway, schools can split rotations. I had one rotation split, but I know for a fact that my school can only split up to four rotations. So by splitting, I mean like you don't have your four weeks consecutively. You can have like two weeks in two weeks or one week in three weeks, but they can only split up to four rotations and none of those can be your required coursework. So like we have a required rural and underserved and we have a required emergency medicine. And I don't believe that you can split those. Maybe you can split one, but not the other one. Every school has their own rules. Know those rules. That's all that I'm going to say about that. I just want to touch on MSPE stuff and then we can wrap up. So for MSPE, I don't know what it stands for. It's some type of medical student evaluation, but it's very important. It's like maybe the most important thing that no one ever talks about. And then when you find out that it was going on the entire time that you were in your third year, you're like, oh, shoot, maybe I should have known about this earlier. (laughs) And so that's why I'm here to let you know. At the end of every rotation, your preceptor fills out an evaluation of you. Part of that evaluation is a box that says MSPE evaluation. And it's just like, a little blurb usually, but it's supposed to be meaningful. Preceptors don't know that, at least none of mine. And so what's hard is that, you know, there's this evaluation that goes directly on your residency application. And if your preceptors don't know that it's going on your on your freaking residency application, they're going to put good student, loves to read, have a nice day. That's all they're going to put. So what I told my mentee and my boyfriend, who's a third year, at the very beginning of third year, when I found out about the MSPE was, let your preceptors know early on. Let them know that there's a box on the actual evaluation at the very end of the rotation that is part of your residency application that residencies are going to see next year. They're going to read it. And if it just says, good student, have a nice day, like that's not great. Like, it's fine, but at least it doesn't say something bad. But still, it's not great. What is the MSPE? Basically, they take that box from every preceptor's evaluation of you that you've had for your entire third year. They put it onto its own document. And then they add a bunch of bar graphs, pie charts, maybe a scatter plot. I don't know, about how you performed in your first and second year coursework compared to your peers. So they'll take, like, your grade and then they'll put it next to the average grade and residency programs can see that whether or not you were above or below average, which I don't know why that matters, but it's on the MSPE. So I guess it matters. So I think that that's everything that I wanted to talk about. Obviously, I'm going to dive deeper into dedicated time for step two, level two, as well as auditions, kind of how you can prepare for auditions. So real briefly, I'm going to talk about my audition journey really quick. So I did three auditions. I applied to way more than three auditions on Vizlo, but I got three. And honestly, three is pretty dang good. You can do as many as six rotations in the same specialty during your third and fourth years combined. I did one neurology rotation in my third year. So that meant that I could only do five in my fourth year, which was fine. I did four. Some people do no auditions and still match. And some people do a ton of auditions. So it doesn't matter. You do you. If you want to do auditions, by all means. Auditions are hard. You're literally acting as an intern. 
you carry patients, you see patients by yourself, you make decisions about their care, you're talking with the attendings in front of a group, you're presenting in front of a group. It's it's real out there. It's real hard. But how do you prepare? So I can do a whole episode on this if you guys request it. But preparing for our auditions is really important. I prepared for mine by doing an elective right before my audition. So I did an elective and then I did three back-to-back auditions. And every audition I got better and better at neurology. So for that first elective, every night that you get home from your elective, make one to three Anki cards on, you know, the bread and butter topics that you've learned throughout the day and things that, you know, you didn't know. So for neurology, the bread and butter things were, you know, stroke, headache, epilepsy, MS. I'm probably missing one, but those are the main ones, right? So just getting those kinds of bread and butter pathologies down was really important. And then working on more complex cases, things that you got pimped on that you didn't know, make an Anki card on it. And then if you keep up with those Anki cards, you know, it's not that many cards that, that you have to do every day, you know, that are going to be due. So you can honestly get those done on a walk, on the treadmill, in the elevator, waiting for the elevator. And then as the auditions go, you continue to make cards. So every audition, you're adding more and more cards. By the end of, say, three auditions, you are thriving. You are crushing the game and you're an expert. So that would be my advice for preparing for auditions and crushing them. But also knowing that you don't have to be an expert going into your auditions at, at all, right? They just want to make sure that you're passionate. They want to make sure that you, you work well in their team and that you show up. You show up, you do your best. So that's all that I got to say about third and fourth year for now. So as always, thank you for listening You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at dear.do.pod. You can check out the official website at deardopod.com for blog posts, guides, and you can, of course, submit your questions about all things medical school by hitting the submit button. You can submit anonymously by typing in nonsense for the first and last name, of course. And you can support the continuation of this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Cologne and recording and production by yours truly. And I hope to see you here next time. Have a good night.